Welcome to KYH2O, a podcast about all things water in Kentucky. I'm Carmen Agaritas, an Extension Associate Professor in the Biosystems and Agricultural Engineering Department at the University of Kentucky. And I'm Amanda Gumbert, an Extension Specialist for Water Quality with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Join us as we get our feet wet exploring Kentucky's water resources. Well, welcome back to another episode of KYH2O. Um, Carmen and I are going to talk a little bit about stormwater today. And um, Carmen met with Jennifer Carey, who is a stormwater coordinator for Lexington Fayette Urban County Government here in Central Kentucky. So Carmen, how was your interview? My interview was great. I work in stormwater, but it was so nice to hear Jennifer talk about that and explain what the city is actually doing about stormwater, um, everything from new installations to education programs. So it was a, it was a really neat and eye-opening experience for me. Okay, well let's listen to Jennifer as she describes um, what a stormwater coordinator does and what that is and, and maybe a little bit about this acronym MS4. In Lexington, we have separate sanitary sewers from storm sewers. Um, not all communities are like that. Some have combined systems. But when you do have a separate system, the state issues a municipal separate storm sewer system permit to that municipality. And there are certain um, permit requirements that that city has to complete in order to stay compliant with their permit um, and stay in good graces with the state. So stormwater, whenever rain or snow falls on the ground, um, if there's enough of it and it can't infiltrate into the ground or if it falls on a hard surface that's never going to let water infiltrate, then that will run off. And as it runs off, it will, um, it will gather up sort of whatever's in its path. So pollutants, oil and grease, um, fecal coliform, E. coli, things that come from perhaps dog poop or pigeon poop or goose poop. Um, and it will also basically just sediment anything that might be in its path and that all gets sort of aggregated together and either goes into one of our storm sewers into a drain which then goes to the creek or it might discharge right to a creek just depending where it is geographically. So Jennifer just described to us a little bit about stormwater in Lexington and, and that can be really applied to most urban areas, right? It can, and, and even stormwater can be applied to rural areas. So any place that we have that excess water running off from a storm, it is stormwater. You know, if, if we have stormwater systems and we know they're supposed to be separate from the sanitary sewer system, and but sometimes maybe they aren't separate, um, let's listen to what Jennifer has to say about how the city of Lexington is handling some of the situations where we've seen, um, an, we'll say, an integration of those two systems. This is our lower cane run wet weather storage tank. When you hear wet weather storage tank, you probably think of stormwater, but this is really a component of our sanitary sewer system um, because when we get heavy rainfall events, We've got a lot of leaks and breaks and such in our sanitary sewer system that allow that rainfall to get in. It's called inflow or infiltration. And that increases the flows in our sanitary sewer system, which can overload that system um, and cause or lead to overflows. And those could happen anywhere along the system or at pump stations or at the treatment plants, in which case then we're not able to treat that water 
before it's discharged back into whatever receiving creek or stream. So these tanks hold the large volumes of flow that we get during storms um, until the system has the capacity to then transmit or treat it at the treatment plants. So Carmen, if folks are in and around Lexington, they may happen upon a large storage tank. And, and Jennifer described this as a wet weather storage tank. So I understand that lots of uh, municipalities actually have used these across the country. So are you familiar with those being used prior to being installed in Lexington? I am not. In Lexington, this was the first I've actually seen it, you know, up close and personal. I, I uh, occasionally jog through Coldstream Park along the Legacy Trail. And if you do that, when you get right near um, Interstate 7564, you're gonna see this huge uh, cylinder and wonder what in the world is that that they build out here? And that is one of those wet weather storage tanks. And so I understand that there are, well, I know of at least a couple more in and around Lexington and that they may have built up to six of those, I think, to add capacity to our system. Correct, so uh, when we have a big storm event come through, and our, as Jennifer mentioned, our storm and our sanitary. So our sanitary would be anything that, like our, we flush down the toilet, we have a shower, we wash our dishes, all that goes to a water treatment plant. Where our storm water doesn't, or it's not supposed to. And so what happens if they get crossed or brought together, and when it rains, all of a sudden all this water goes towards the treatment plant and it can't handle it. So think of these uh, tanks as kind of holding areas for that water until the storm passes and then the treatment plant can catch up. So they kind of are just, they divert some of that mixed um, water that, that may be from the sanitary, but has gotten lots of storm water in it. So, so fresh water that's mixing with water that needs to go to the wastewater treatment plant. And so we don't want to have fountains of this popping up. So I've heard tales and seen pictures um, of manhole covers in Lexington that in, during heavy rain events will actually, there's enough pressure and quantity of, or volume, I guess, of water that will pop the manhole covers up and create somewhat of a, a poo fountain. Um, sorry if any of our listeners are sensitive to some of our terminology today, but um, so those are things that we wanna avoid, right? Correct, and that's what they're doing with the, the wet weather tanks is it's, it was viewed as a more economical means to handle uh, the stormwater and maybe that sanitary crossover as the city has grown or developed over time. And so this is a way to ensure that it also doesn't get into our streams, but it actually is held until the water treatment plant has the capacity to treat it. You know, to give a little background, Jennifer does a nice job of explaining what a watershed is. So let's listen to, her, in her words, what a watershed is and a little bit more about Lexington's watersheds. So a watershed is um, the point where all the water upstream of an area drains to. So um, on this side of the United States, we're all in the Gulf of Mexico watershed. We're also in the Mississippi River watershed. And as you move upstream, you can get to a smaller and smaller defined watershed. Um, so in Lexington, we're all part of the Kentucky River watershed, but Lexington's also unique in that we sit on top of a hill. So we actually are the starting point for several 
smaller watersheds that all ultimately get into the Kentucky River. But we have um, Town Branch and East Tickman, West Tickman, Wolf Run, South Elkhorn, North Elkhorn, and uh, Cane, I think Run, where we're Cane Run where we are today, exactly. You know, something that I heard um, a colleague at Division of Water say once, and I think it is part of their educational materials too, is if it's on the ground, it's in your water. And I think that's a pretty good reminder for all of us to remember that anything that falls on the ground, anything, whether it be, you know, litter or whether it be waste or, or soil or, you know, whatever it is, if it rains on that and it is going to wash off of that either sidewalk or roadway and make its way into our streams. Um, and, you know, we think about stormwater, um, and sometimes we don't think about stormwater. Let's just be honest. Carmen, you and I think about stormwater. We think about stormwater when it floods. That's when we think about it. When our roads, we can't pass through them. When um, our basements get flooded, that's when we notice stormwater. So we think about quantity with stormwater a lot. Correct. Maybe not quality. Probably not, because most of us don't go swim in lakes and streams in the middle of a storm. Right. Well, Jennifer gives us some tips about what people can do to protect stormwater around their homes and in their everyday lives. Usually we think about three main pollutants when we think about stormwater. We think about bacteria or pathogens, we think about sediment, and we think about um, nutrients, so that's nitrogen and phosphorus. Um, so the number, one of the number one things that folks can do is if they have pets, if they take their pet on a walk, clean up after their pet, dispose of, that, um, suppose, dispose of that pet's dog waste in your trash can at home. Um, don't leave it on the ground, don't leave it in a neighbor's yard. If um, your dog uses a fenced backyard area, pick that area up regularly. Um, we're thinking about a new campaign, you know, pick it up every time, something along those lines, because it is important. Um, secondly, in terms of nutrients, um, if you've got a yard and you fertilize, you really don't need to use a fertilizer that has phosphorus. We've got plenty of phosphorus already in our soils um, and that's just not needed to get the nice green lawns that a lot of people strive for. And then on the sediment side of things, if you've got a bare area in your yard, go ahead and get some seed down or sod and um, some straw and keep that area watered so that that grass can come back because that dirt will just, if it's exposed, it'll get picked up in a rain event and wash into our streams and creeks. So we mentioned that if it's on the ground, it's in your water. Um, but, but how some, does it get there? But Right, how does it get there? And sometimes it's not a clear path. And especially in urban areas where a lot of times our streams are not in view. Like I can't necessarily drive down a roadway and see a stream on either side of the road or, you know, or in my neighborhood or whatever. Um, but there are many avenues for pollutants to get into a stream. Yeah, we don't, we don't have to drive by and throw something out the window of a car. You know, that's, that's what a lot of people may think. But uh, our civil engineers have done a fantastic job of getting that extra water on our land away because we don't want a hydroplane, we don't want our buildings flooded, so they try to really get that water away. And in doing that and being very efficient at it, they've also created a wonderful pathway uh, for any of those pollutants that you talk about or anything that we don't want to get into our water. Actually, sometimes it's a little bit easier for it to get there. So there's also in our stormwater system, um, 
in urban areas often, and sometimes in you know outside of urban areas. But we might see um, big empty ponds almost, you know, bowls, or we think of them as basins and and either detention or a retention basin, which I sometimes have to, I have to keep a little note to remind myself which is which um, for my non-engineer brain. Um, but how do those play into a stormwater system? Great question. So when you have a detention basin, so those will be the ones that you would see dry after a storm event. So it, it would temporarily hold that water. Think of it like your bathtub. It holds that stormwater and then it slowly meters it out. Uh, so you don't get flooding downstream. And that's one of the big things you look for. Uh, you may see a retention basin, though you see those also sometimes in neighborhoods as an aesthetic thing. So they actually hold the water, or they'll hold some level of water in after a storm. So think of it kind of like a mini lake. Water comes in, it fills it up some, it slowly meters it out, but then it also keeps some of that water in place. And then a lot of neighborhoods may have fountains to help aerate the water. Uh, but also it kind of looks nice. People like to look at them. And so uh, those basins, when they were designed, were designed when we thought a lot about catching at the end, right? So if I had a neighborhood, a shopping complex or whatever, all the water that came off, let's go catch it down at the very end. And that's why sometimes you see these really, really big ones. We're approaching or, or rethinking our design philosophy. So now when you talked about rain gardens, um, stormwater wetlands like at McConnell Springs or other things like that. We're thinking more along the lines of like low impact development. So instead of making it somebody's issue at the very, very end, let's space it out around our, our properties and try to deal with it that way. Okay, that makes a little more sense. Maybe a little easier and, and you maybe use less land, you know, in the process if you infiltrate just a little at a time as you go. Yeah, the big, the big thing about low impact development or those local um, best management practices that you might put around is really trying as best you can to mimic the hydrology of that watershed or how the water behaved mm -hmm. before you went in and developed something. Jennifer also um, explains a little bit about ways that residents can be involved in stormwater efforts. Our Urban County Council adopted a water quality management fee back in 2009 and it was implemented in January. The first bills were sent in January of 2010. Um, and that raises the revenue that funds our stormwater program and our flood protection program. But we wanted to incorporate as a part of that, a way to help the property owners who are paying into that fee to get some sort of return on investment, on their investment. So we developed a grant program um, there were lots of stakeholders citywide who were involved in developing that program and it gives um, neighborhood associations or commercial entities an opportunity to put projects into place or to develop educational programs that um, focus on water quality improvements or even water quantity improvements. We fund some public service announcements, we fund um, research and development of um, educational campaigns such as the one about not using phosphor or not using fertilizer that has phosphorus in it. Um, we also fund sort of capital type projects where um, a, a business can install a rainwater harvesting system, a rain garden, um, all sorts of things, permeable pavers, 
porous asphalt, things that um, are gonna improve water quality, but also help these businesses to reduce the monthly fee that they're paying because they have less hard surface on their property going forward once they complete the project. And we want you know all of our grant applicants when they fill out their application and as they implement their grant to be mindful of ways that they can educate whomever, you know, whoever is the most relevant audience to their grant. So if it's a large um, factory, they might want to educate their staff and employees about what they've done and the importance of it. Um, if it's a, it might be the school system who has a grant where they're, they're going to be focused on educating the students that come through their school. Um, and then others are more far reaching, like some of the grants that UK has gotten, um, they're, they're wanting to reach, you know, all residents in Fayette County and even beyond. So making sure there's that educational component is a critical part to receiving a grant. So Jennifer talks about a stormwater incentive grant program that that came out of um, the consent decree and stormwater fees that the city of Lexington assesses on um, homeowners as well as commercial properties. Um, and then also some of these projects emphasize educational components, which I think is a pretty important piece. I think you and I both agree that that's a very important piece. It is. I, part of that, um, I love the Stormwater Incentive Program, and part of the reason I really enjoy it, or I look very favorably upon it, um, also not just from a commercial standpoint, but with residential like neighborhoods or groups like that, is twofold. One is it gets people outside and actually doing these projects, putting them in place, and then they have a better stake in their neighborhood and how things are managed. The second part is the educational part of it, is the more we talk about stormwater, the more we understand its potential impacts and what we can do, the better we're going to be. And, and stormwater, unfortunately, unless we make a concerted effort about talking about it, is one of those things that's out of sight, out of mind. And I really enjoy this stormwater incentive program because it gets people excited about it. And you, every year I watch as people get uh, awarded grants to do these projects, they put them in place, and then they see uh, the benefits that happen. And then it's a cyclic, right? Because then the next year they're like, I want to go back and get more because I have another project idea I want to put in place. And so I'm very favorable on those stormwater incentive grants because it lets the community take some sort of ownership of the issues that they're facing and not just letting it be you know government taking care of it all they're actually getting to be on the ground doing some of that themselves yeah I think that's been a really interesting program and it's been fun to watch that too um, you know one that we're familiar with too is um, some of the efforts in the Wolf Run watershed they've had multiple stormwater incentive grants that they've utilized to um, <clears throat> put in some streamside buffer plantings They've used their money to do educational campaigns. Uh, we worked with them to develop a backyard streams program that now we're sharing not just um, citywide, but statewide and nationwide, if you want to say that. So, um, but something else that it doesn't just stop with individual residents. So um, let's listen to Jennifer talk about how the, the incentive program can also involve contractors and developers. So if our listeners are interested in learning more about the Stormwater Incentive Grants, we'll have a link to that information available um, on our Explore More portion of our website. 
and also some links in our show notes so that that you can go on and if you're now inspired to get involved in your local neighborhood and and coordinate a project um, they don't have to be super complicated and anybody can do that you really just have to have a champion for your area so um, Carmen any other um, last thoughts about stormwater and in your interview with Jennifer I think the biggest thing that I took away from talking with Jennifer is just how much all of us have a stake in stormwater and how all of us can have individual actions that can positively affect the quality of the water that comes across our lawns or parking lots, um, parks, things like that. We all play a role in, in doing that. And I think the Stormwater Incentive Grant Program is a way to let citizens take an even bigger uh, responsibility on what goes on in their watersheds. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just super important for all of us to remember that all of our actions add up. All of us can make a difference. And um, just really being aware of how we interact um, on a daily basis with with water quality and, and storm water, whether it be a quantity or quality issue. Um, we just hope our listeners can take a little morsel of information today and, and do something good for their local watershed one step at a time. You've been listening to Carmen Agaritas and Amanda Gumbert. Learn more about water at uky.edu forward slash BAE forward slash KYH2O. Subscribe to hear all episodes of KYH2O.